Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Spamming Zero. Excited about today's episode because we are going to be joined by a brand, Codal Poxy. If you are not familiar with them, I highly recommend you look them up. They are people for the world. Um, super excited because I am also a fanboy of their products. I am a huge fan of the person that we're going to have on, Shannon Peltier. Uh, you'll hear me pronounce her name wrong, which I get wrong totally in the very first part of the episode, which kind of sucks on my part, but I've learned over the time. Uh, it's 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 really awesome because we we unpack this idea of being a frontline agent, which she was, and working your way up into a ACX pro who oversees the strategy. She oversees the CX strategy at Cotopoxy. She's the CX manager there. Uh, so what does Shannon think when she calls support? She says she immediately feels frustrated, but because she helps manage people that also deal with these types of calls, she empathizes with them. And let me just say this, Koto uh, Poxy is a brand that produces products that are for those that love the outdoors. Uh, very, very unconventional look and feel. I love their travel bag. Actually, it's the thing I take on all business trips that fits everything. You'll hear me talk about that. Um, absolutely love it. Plus, it's a local Utah company, which I'm, as you know, uh, native to. Uh, Shannon's also local to Utah. She's a mom uh, to a four-year-old and two puppies. Awesome. Also going through some uh, DIY projects. So that's a little bit about her. In her spare time, she's working on her fixed wrapper. She is a volleyball coach. And more on that. Stay tuned. We'd like to thank our current sponsor of the month, Eric Hall. Aircall.io. Go check them out. Love what they do. They also just uh, reached 100 million in revenue, which is incredible. Uh, we partner with them. They're a big part of our ecosystem. Aircall is a cloud-based call center and phone system of choice for modern businesses. A voice platform that integrates seamlessly with popular productivity and help desk tools. Aircall was built to make phone support easy to manage and accessible, transparent, and collaborative. Aircall believes that a great conversation is the most powerful way to communicate with customers, prospects, candidates, and colleagues. We tend to agree. They are as equally invested with voice and sound as we are. I'm James. And I'm Brian. And this is Spanning Zero. All right, everybody, welcome to the show. We got Shannon Pelter here. Shannon Peltier. Oh, that's right. Okay, I'm sorry. That's my bad. You know, I'm really good at pronouncing names wrong, as we've learned on this podcast. <laughs> Shannon, give our listeners a good feel for how you got to where you're at today, career-wise. Yeah. Um, so I currently work for a company called Codapoxy, um, and I will be with them for four years this November, which is the longest I've ever been at a company. <laughs> that's been pretty, pretty cool. Um, when I started, they were about five years old into their journey of being a company, but it was actually a really cool opportunity. I was a new mom. I had just quit my full-time job to be like a stay-at-home mom and kind of decided that, sadly, that life wasn't for me. It was very difficult to just sit home with a baby who, I love her so much, but man, was she hard. <laughs> she was so hard. <laughs> And my husband can't wait for her to listen to this. Oh my gosh, she's only four. She's got years. She's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but um, 
anyway, my husband would come home and talk about things he did at work. And I just really missed that connection. I missed that team environment. I missed having something that brought me to the outside world, right? Anyway, I wanted to work from home. This was pre-COVID, right? So work from home jobs were you could be a transcriber or you could be like the cold call salespeople. Um, that was basically all that was out there. And I had an old college connection of mine post on Facebook about this like unicorn of a position, which was like work from home remote, one to 30 hours a week, do what you can type job. And I was like, that doesn't feel real, right? No job would hire a customer service rep who like can't do phones really. Cause I'm like, I just couldn't do live coverage with an infant in the room. Anyway, I reached out to her. I was like, here's my situation. Do you think I should apply, right? Like I had known Code Epoxy cause I actually coincidentally participated in their first ever Questival when they launched the brand. I participated when I was in college. So I was very familiar with the brand from their inception and just had kind of followed their journey. So I was like, I love the brand. I love the outdoor mission. Anyway, long story short, I got an interview. I went in and it was the first time I think I've ever been fully like transparent in an interview where I was just like, this is what I can offer, right? Right. I'm a new mom. I'm figuring out life. I've got nap times. I've got bedtime. I can work. You know, you know, I've worked in customer service for years. I know how to do it. I just need like a chance, right? A chance to prove that this could work from home. And they gave it to me, which was very shocking in my brain um, to be picked even when I was so vulnerable. And I remember like I started this job, I was remote. And again, I had the super flexibility of working, I could work one hour a week or I could work 30 hours a week. They were just drowning at this point and they wanted any sort of backend help that they could get. And I just remember falling in love with the immediate trust that I had, right? From the get-go, I was very vulnerable in my interview and this company chose to pick me even among hundreds of candidates. And I was like, I'm gonna make it worth it. I'm gonna make sure I do everything in my power that when they like look at my area of work, they're not like, eh, yeah, it's not worth the company, let's slice it. And four years later, and I'm still here, <laughs> it's been pretty wild. So do an amazing job. Yeah, it was really cool. I mean, kudos to the team as well. It's not not on me, but it's been so fun to grow in this company and have the opportunity to help develop it as well. Just from where we started, we've had multiple different teams. About a year in, I was given the opportunity to go full-time. Um, and again, I was very transparent of the fact that I'm like, I can't do a nine to five, right? I can get the jobs done. I can get the projects done, but I cannot work those dedicated hours. And they were didn't even flinch. All right, that sounds great. Here's the opportunity. Take it if it, you want it, you know? Um, and that's when I got to lead our remote team. So I became the head of like CX remote team at Code Epoxy. And then a year later, I was bumped up to the CX manager. So now I oversee our support and our success team and work directly under our director. And it's pretty, pretty incredible to just, I don't know. It's very weird to have a company invest in you and feel so like, and I invest in it, right? It's always felt like an equal partnership, which has been very rare to me. So. I love when brands... I guess I should say businesses in general take the approach of employee first and realize that people's schedules are oftentimes not exactly what they anticipate as a business for people to work. Like those three or four projects, if they're, if they are done and they're done efficiently with the outcomes that we're looking for, like you, you do it when you can do it. Right. And, and I, I love when brands take that approach because I do think that, it is interesting to see how many businesses out there don't think that way and really 
hit hard with the nine to five thing, um, especially in a role like this. I think I think it's fascinating that they that they started you in this role. And and here's the other thing. It's even more rare. And you and I know this being a Utah native. It's even more rare of a role like that coming here in Utah. Those just don't happen. Um, so I, I just find that really, really interesting. And I do think that more brands need to be doing stuff like that. I think it's awesome. I think one of the best parts of remote work is that it forces people to judge output and not input from a like leadership and management standpoint, because <laughs> there's no way to judge input anymore. And it was something that was lip service in a pre-COVID in office world. Everybody would say, oh yeah, like we're flexible and we're only looking at the output. But then there were like, right, everybody was keeping tabs, looking around the office, this, that, and the other. So I think it's one of the many fantastic benefits of, of remote setups. I'm genuinely curious, what is the biggest challenge that you feel like you faced in moving from like more of the agent side into like managing the actual strategy of like customer experience? I think most like mid-level managers would agree with this, right? And I know it's like a hot topic right now, but typically promotions come because you're really good at what you're doing, right? They're like, okay, hey, who's performing well? Who's like, you know, output is incredible. Let's promote them. So then you get into this leadership position and now you're starting to lead and manage the people who are doing the job you were just doing. But now you have to learn a whole different style of work because it's managing people, not process. I'm real good with processes, right? You want me to write policies, SOPs, whatever, I'm on it. When people come to you, right, and they have questions or concerns or life events or things that maybe prohibit them from doing their job, it's like, how do you show up for these people? How do you now manage their you know, career roadmaps? How do you make sure they're achieving and getting the fulfillment that they want? Because for me, I know... I've seen it in a lot of customer service. It's high, high turnover, right? It's usually an entry-level position. Somebody comes in for six months. They either love it or hate it, or they're not getting where they want, so they're out. But biasedly, I would say customer service has one of the most rigorous onboarding processes in a company. You have to know so many processes and people. And I mean, you're dealing with the customer. And if you don't have a customer, you don't have a company. Right. So it's like you're the face of that that like company. And it's just you have to have the right people with the right training and the right soft skills who have, you know, they get the answer in the right amount of time to the customer. So they're not frustrated. But also, if it's a disappointing answer, how do you deliver that? And then to be the person that has to manage and train and hire and onboard that, it's very daunting to just be like, wait, you picked me like, wait, I, I can do tickets. But how do I like manage the people who are doing the tickets? <laughs> like. <laughs> And that's, that was the biggest hurdle was just, I love people, right? That's why I work in customer service. I love working with people. I love that interaction, but now it's, it's weird to be a step away from it, right? I'm, so I get to hear these experiences, but now I have to coach through or be the person who only gets the escalated calls where they're like, I want to talk to your manager. And you're like, cool. <laughs> but I think that was probably my biggest hurdle was that almost like imposter syndrome of like, why did they put me here? Right. Like, yeah, I'm good at my job and I can give tips and tricks of how to be efficient in the role. But like when somebody comes to you and says, I want to grow in this company and all of a sudden you're like, like, <laughs> I feel like, again, I grew in this company, but sometimes it's hard to pinpoint how you even got to where you got. Right. I think for me, I attribute a lot of it to like luck and good timing when realistically, I'm sure there were other factors in it. But I'm like, no, man, I just got lucky. I was in the right place at the right time and it worked out. 
but like that discredits a lot of the hard work and initiative that I put in into my own job. What I got in my leadership position, I just managed the team as I had known it. We kept it the same. Then we started having people who wanted to grow and it became very apparent that I was like, we are not structured to scale, right? We, we have been in such a reactive position for so long where we're just trying to band-aid and triage and fix what we can, how we can, and we'll come back to it later. But again, it's like we're burning out the people who are putting in the time because they don't see growth, they don't see fulfillment. And so that really became the shift in my mind where I was like, if we wanna make sure we don't have continuous turnover in our agents, how do we make sure they feel invested in and they feel seen and heard and have a plan and they can see I can grow in CX or I, I think a huge benefit is filtering CX agents into the company further. Right. So other entry level positions into marketing or into finance or into, you know, design or anything like that. There's so many, so many amazing opportunities. And it's like if you can get people who come from CX to then work into your bigger company, that voice of the customer travels internally and will always be represented now on a larger scale in those departments. I love what you said. I've, I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever heard anybody put it like that, like hiring you know, even entry level folks that are in customer experience and kind of for lack of a better way of putting it that dropping them in in different departments to kind of own that. I think that that's really a really fascinating way to look at it. So you've talked a lot about the kind of mindset and responsibility shift going from being an agent to being in this management role and understanding kind of the the brand, obviously, and then also the life of the agent and thinking about how to make it a good experience for those people and continue to grow those people. So I think that that speaks to like a lot of kind of what your mindset has been and the strategy. I'm curious, what are the other things that as you've taken on more of a leadership role at Cotopoxy have been those like top priority items, right? One of the beauties and the challenges of customer experience is that it can go in limitless directions. There's an infinite amount of projects that can be done. Wow. How have you gone about kind of prioritizing and, and what are some of the things that you've done? That's a great question. Um, and like I said, it, it really hit us probably like two years ago that we were, we were in a scalable situation. So we re we redesigned our whole team. Uh, we created this whole different tree of how you know people could grow and develop and different opportunities. But even then we were still facing the big challenge of we had people on our team, we were mixed with full-time and part-time agents. So our full-time agents typically were tasked with part of their day working in the queue and you know helping out customers and part of their day managing these projects, right? Like we really were trying to make that shift from a reactive customer experience to a proactive customer experience. So how can we find those efficiencies and, and find those opportunities to have, you know, customers have that self-help option and for our agents to have that self-help option, right? I don't know if you guys, like what communication you use, but we use Slack and man, is it so distracting to always just be like ping, ping, ping from Slack and you're pulled <laughs> from every task. And it's just like, you can never give a full go at any project because you're pulled into a different fire, right? When you're in this reactive state. Um, so last April, we made the switch to where we broke our team in two. So we have the umbrella of CX, and like I mentioned, we have our support team and our success team. And our CX success is a little bit different than what I think traditional business is, um, but they're, they're streamlined and focused on creating efficiencies um, in our customer experience support team. 
right? So their whole first year of inception was literally to audit, edit, and find those gaps in our platforms that we were currently using, right? So we had scratched the surface on some of them, but there were so many different things that we could implement um, and change that would then help our agents, you know, be better at their job and feel more confident in their job and not have to slack a question every time they had it because we now have a whole database built out. And then in this year, we've really shifted to now focusing on what we're calling like our customer journey and our voice of the, we call it voice of the Globe Scout. We're calling our customers Globe Scouts. So we voice of the Globe Scouts. Um, and we, two years ago, we implemented a meeting that was called voice of the customer where our CX team once a month presents to all the stakeholders in the company, just what we are hearing from our customers. We pull data from every platform that we're using, whether it's social media, whether it's our inbound queue management, whether it's Facebook, whether um, anything, right? Phone calls. And we simply say, hey, we ran this promotion, you know, this month and here was the outcome, right? It really gave us the opportunity to meet with all the stakeholders in the company and just kind of collaborate on, again, pain points of the customer. Without a customer, you don't have a company. So you've got to listen to them. And I think oftentimes CX is like seen as that like little brother in the corner. They're just managing, you know, the tickets and the, you know, the whizmos and all those things. But there's a lot we can learn when we listen to our customers. And yes, the customer is always right, but sometimes their concerns don't need addressed. Right? You get you get people coming from all walks of earth that are like, you should offer this. And it's like, great idea, but probably not. Like, <laughs> um, But for us, I think that has been the biggest, I don't know, it's just been so incredible to see what this success team has been able to unlock for our support team. Um, I often think companies will expand their support teams simply because they need more headcount, right? They're not investing in their systems. And so they're working with 10% of a system they're paying for, and they just hire more and more people because the demand is getting more and more. Where we've been able to maintain um, lower than 10 agents on our support team for the past probably three years. And I love the small intimate team, right? Yes, the workload's a little heavier, but if we can create the right efficiencies in our programs, take away some clicks, take away some decision fatigue, then their job becomes easier. They're more satisfied when they bring up a concern. They know that there's a pathway for us to take it and you know communicate that with stakeholders. It doesn't fall on deaf ears. We do a tracking and accountability of it. And I just think like that confidence, that enabling confidence is so huge as an agent to know that your voice is heard. Again, an entry level, you know, it might be a college student. For a lot of our agents, this is their first ever job. And I just think that confidence should be taught from a very early age that like you do have a voice and the people you represent matter. And hopefully our customers then see that, right? They know that their voice is being heard and represented in our company. And, and I think just splitting off those two branches has been our biggest like win for a while. That's made a huge impact for us. One of the biggest trends right now in social media is some of the stuff that happens in TikTok. There's a lot of agents out there just like, you know, persona ink, I guess is, I don't even know if that's a word, but whatever, we're using it. Um, and kind of like acting out what's happening in their day to day. And it's like, holy smokes, I've watched some of them. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> like the stuff that people deal with. So here's my question for you, right? Like you mentioned the fact like it is the number one job that is quit, quit, or unfortunately, in most in a lot of cases, too, it's also cut. Uh, so it's like, kind of a double edged sword there for people that are in these roles. What's your hot take for those that are in a role like this to one, like not get burned out or just what's your hot take and to ensure that that role 
isn't cut and is remaining prominent? I think in my brain, like the biggest win, it's something that my director says often, and it's become a big like life mantra for me where it's simply just seek to understand, right? I think that's a big reason of how I ended up where I am. I think for me, I just owned what I didn't know. And so again, I came into CX where it was very reactive. We were just in this state of like panic, panic, panic. And it started with me just asking questions about like our return process. I was like, hey, does anybody understand why we do the way we do this? I was fortunate to have a leader who didn't take offense to me asking questions. And he was like, no, I don't research it. And, you know, let us know what you find. So I was given the opportunity to reach out to other stakeholders in the company and simply just say, do we understand, like, why was this policy put in place? And a lot of the times, again, in a startup or any company, we get in our lanes of comfort, right? We're doing what we're doing because that's the way it's done. And we don't really question it or reevaluate it. And as any company grows, you have to audit and edit that, right? You have to figure out what's what's going awry. How many times as a leader do I get asked a question and what's the first thing that I do? I Google it, right? I'm like, I don't know, <laughs> but I Google it and then I hand it back. But at the same time, empowering my own agents when they ask a question to do the same thing. I actually don't know that answer, but here's some people you can reach out to, to, you know, source some feedback on that or Google it. Like, I don't know. <laughs> And you work collaboratively to figure that out. But I think, again, it just comes down to confidence. So many customer support um, positions, right, are scripted. They are kind of stay in your lane. They're put in a box. Um, and for a lot of companies, that's just how they operate, right? But I think to grow and develop any sort of CX, you have to give that autonomy and trust to treat your agents as people. And then your agents have the freedom to treat your customers as people. Right. You have to make sure you're hiring the right people who are comfortable in that, because a lot of people, I think, in customer support love that like good soldier rule. Tell me what to do and I will do it. Right. I want the mindless work. But oftentimes I think that's where burnout comes when you just get bored. You're done with it. You're over it. So you leave or your metrics aren't where they should be because you have no initiative to like grow or push yourself. So like you said, sometimes the rules get cut. But I just think you have to allow people to be people in both sense of the words, right? So for my agents and for our customers, we have to accept them and listen to them and try to adapt and react the best that we can. If I had to make a guess as a fan of, of, you, <laughs> of you all on maybe why your leadership team does see its value, let's, let's unpack the vision for a second. People of the world, right? Now, if I'm a CMO promoting that vision, I know without a shadow of a doubt, the, the best way to promote that vision of people of the world is having people of the world uh, get together and talk about it and be advocates. And so in order to do that, you have to create really good experiences that they'll talk about. And you have to create experiences, not just with the delivery of the service of the product, but the product itself has to create an experience, which is what it did for me. Yeah. Um, you know, we've talked about that backpack I, I take everywhere and it creates a crazy experience for me because I can literally like, I can take my entire podcast setup <laughs> because there's like so many compartments in this backpack. I can take the entire thing and nothing is broken. I can make sure that it's all safe and it creates an experience of travel for me. Right. And I think that the products that you all have, they do that and they, they tie to the need of the people of the world that that love to be outdoors and yeah. and love to to travel and do the things that are necessary and i think that the vision 
that the company has around that has allowed the leadership team to let that flourish. And I think that's an important distinguishing factor that brands could probably piggyback off of the example that you all have set. Because oftentimes a vision that is set at the highest level, and Brian, you, you and I know this very, very well, but vision that is set at the highest level is not always executed on um, to, the, to the level of like, okay, this is actually like how our brand is represented now. And I think that if I had to guess, that would be my guess as a fan and customer of, of y'all is like, I know I didn't hear about Cotopaxi, Cotopaxi. I say, I even say the name wrong of, of your brand, but nonetheless, like I didn't even hear about them through like your normal means of marketing channels. How I heard about them was through people that I know, like do a bunch of hiking and backpacking. And then like, we found out about them as a, as a local Utah uh, person. So that like that, that amplified it even more word of mouth. And so I just think that that's a big thing, right? I mean, I, I've seen now people that I, I trust and admire that are also big into outdoors, like post post stuff all the time on, on social media and advocate for it. And I, and I think that that's the, evolution and outcome of the vision coming to full circle of why it, I think it's so important. And then the other thing that has to just come to mind a little bit here, right? I agree with you, James, from a, from a top-down standpoint and a vision and culture standpoint. And then really that does then guide the people that are brought into the organization. But there's also an element of you came in and, and you were motivated to have an impact and you were asking these questions and you were coming to the table with these ideas and with this data and you were pushing for these things and then right all it takes is one domino to fall and there to be like one light bulb that goes off one win that happens that maybe it is a it leads to a big jump in a core metric on the support team or maybe it leads to a change in a policy that everybody sees as obviously better in some other department of the business and then it gets very easy in any role to give more and invest more behind good people and good teams. I love that. I think you're spot on. I always think it's interesting too, because when people are building their careers, so this is all, this is for all the people out there that want to try to build a career like, like Shannon, let's unpack what you did. Number one, you asked questions to understand deeper. Number two, you took on more workload to show that you could impact it and also take it to the next level. And I think these two things are very simple things that everyone can understand. Like I, this happened actually just the other day we were, I was in a marketing community and there was a question that was proposed to all the CMOs in there. And they asked, you know, what is your highest level of advice that you would give people that are trying to become a CMO that are maybe like a director or a manager? And my first thought was exactly what you did. You have to show that you're a leader before it's on paper, meaning before your title changes and before all that, you have to show that you're a leader. And I break it down into similar, like definitely year two, but also I add a third. And that's like, I, I want to see that people are willing to follow you, that they, that they advocate for you. 
and that they trust you at a level that like I don't have to go and ask them and say, hey, what do you think about Shannon? Like instead it's proactive they're coming to me and being like oh my gosh i love shannon's leadership i love what she's doing i love the coaching she's providing that's what i look for and that's ultimately how i became a cmo in and growing the ladder right i started off not as a cmo <laughs> so it, it, it there's a path for everybody but i think that these are some tangibles that people can take away so if you're an agent out there and you're listening to this call which would be awesome or this podcast i should i called it a call <laughs> weird <laughs> um if you're listening i mean it's kind of relevant right it's it's sort of the same thing <laughs> but it's if you're listening to this it's very relevant to your role because what Shannon did is she started off exactly where you're at. She's giving you a path. She's telling you how she got there. And this is, I think true across almost any area that you would grow a career is having these tangibles that just, they need to become second nature to you. Yeah. I think that's like spot on with what you've said. Right. And to add a little bit of flavor into there, right. I think the biggest part that helped me was that, I didn't come in with like the big picture in mind. I didn't come in hoping to become the CX manager at Code Epoxy. Like I didn't have this big goal. Like, of course I want opportunities, right? But like, I think every other job I've come in like wanting something and then I either get frustrated or disappointed or it's not working out the way I want. And that creates my own unhappiness in my role. And then, right, I find a way out eventually. But I think coming in and just being happy to own my role right? To own my role and own my responsibilities to the fullest, right? So maybe it's like, okay, hey, you gave me this chunk of what I'm supposed to own and I'm going to take on a little bit more and do more. But at the same time, like not being afraid to have conversations about your career. I think a lot of the time agents, any person gives the power of their career to leadership. They'll bring it up. They'll talk to me or it's like awkward or uncomfortable and it shouldn't be, right? It's your own career. And I think we have to be honest at times that like, Sometimes you're in a place that's like, this is great experience that I've had for a year, maybe two, and it's time for me to move on to somewhere else, right? The opportunities of growth and development aren't here anymore. I loved what I've got here. At Codapoxy, we try to create what we call a career highlight. No matter the time that you give to Codapoxy, we want any time on your resume for you to look back and say, that was an awesome opportunity for me. Whether that's six months, six years, we don't know, right? But we want to make sure that what you're getting out of it, you leave a better person, a better employee, everything. But I just think it comes from that ownership. A lot of people come in with like, I do want to be the CMO and I want to be that in the next five years. And I think that's great, right? We should have goals, but that shouldn't mean that you like diminish the role that you start at. Own it, be the best at it, right? Expand it, see what you can do with it, build it, create it. And then you can come to a manager or a leader and say, look what I've done. You asked for this percentage, I gave this percentage, right? And then it's it, like, that becomes clear too. If your manager's like, oh, cool. I'm not going to do anything about it. Maybe that's not the organization for you, right? Maybe that's not the leadership you want to be involved in. Maybe you do need to take it to a different company, but it's just like, you have to own, own your role and own your boundaries too, right? Own what you're like, your own value and what you're worth. I'm a little too competitive and at like by nature. <laughs> and so some of the roles that I was in really early on, like I was on the, I was on the phones. I've, I've served as an agent. I've served as like an a cold call like sales representative too i've done that and i just was too competitive like i hated <laughs> losing at the end of the week if i lost ooh, i was so mad at myself that i couldn't beat the person that was next to me making the same amount of calls so 
I also think like there there is a little bit of this like competitive nature that I think that helps you have some of that desire to learn those things. Shannon, we are at time. How do you, how do you feel about th- this week's episode? <laughs> I loved it. I love. I don't know. I love how natural it felt just to chat and hang out. And I appreciate you guys being willing to share a little bit of my story. That's awesome. Thanks for being on the show. Um, we'll, we will have you back. No doubt about it. Um, especially after I get this new gear that, that I'm going to have to <laughs> tout and talk about more. <laughs> Happy to chat anytime. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Spamming Zero. If you have not yet subscribed to the podcast, please do so. And if you have any questions or if you want to hear a topic that you have not heard, Brian and I are your people. Um, Reach out to us via LinkedIn or whatever you want. Like you can send us an email too, I guess, if that's really the route you want to go. But give us a topic that you want to talk about and we will do that. So uh, see you next week. 